everyone and welcome to Bear All, the brand new dating and sex podcast by open-minded dating app Bear. I'm Sophie, the host, and each week I'll be joined by a fab guest who'll be coming on and talking about all things sex and dating related. Grab a glass of wine, sit down and enjoy the episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Bear All. We've got a really, really exciting episode this week. I'm joined by writer and broadcaster Alex Fox, who specialises in all things sex, which I think... Hello, Sophie. Yeah, he asks everything. (laughs) Well, my my job is very broad. Uh, I hope that the toast of your day has been thickly spread with the marmalade of joy and is oozing with the butter of brilliance, my dear. Oh my God, I love that. How do you come up with these things? Like in every email that we've done, it just makes my day. But I'm like, how do you have the creativity to come up with wonderful wonderful greetings oh bless you well for a start I'm just a big fan of a pun I am a fundamentalist at heart <laughs> but I think that we send so many dms and emails and electronic communications and um, that they can very quickly just become purely business and quite sour and dour um, so I made it my mission to open every email or note that I send uh, with something that's uh, a bit more upbeat and joyful and I find that 90% of people find it memorable and uplifting and then there's 10% who think I'm terrifyingly unprofessional and slightly around the bend but (laughs) we don't want to work with those people so no the people whose pickles I don't tickle are just you know they're not my breed of human I don't think (laughs) it's fine not to be everyone's cup of tea yes 100% so would you mind just expanding a little bit about um yeah what you do so we say obviously you work in the sex education field but from a writer and broadcasting perspective um and I know you've worked a little bit with sex education um I have yeah I've been a script consultant on sex education for uh all three seasons um going way way back to what seems like the Bronze Age when I started my career in journalism uh, just over 15 years ago. Uh, I got my big break as an editor on a magazine called Bizarre, um, which was very much a a top shelf and uh, very deepest, darkest bottom of the ocean um, magazine in terms of uh, the brooding, saucy content that it contained. It was all things alternative culture. So it was uh, mad art, uh, subversive body modification like people tattooing their eye ba- eyeballs and piercing their cervixes and god knows what and a large proportion of what we covered was also um, what at the time were considered unusual kinks and out there fetishes so I made a name for myself writing about those things and, and gaining a reputation for being a trustworthy journalist who would represent those groups and those communities and those individuals in a fair representative way And then when 50 Shades of Grey splattered its semen all over the market, as much as I don't think the books or the films are uh, particularly luscious or or even very, very accurate when it comes to the BDSM lifestyle, they did suddenly start a lot more people talking about those things. Those conversations that have previously been niche suddenly became quite mainstream and I found myself much more in demand by mainstream publications like The Guardian, the BBC, even Men's Fitness for a while uh, got me to talk about kink and fetish. Um, Off the back of that I had lots of people approaching me for advice so I got some training with Brooke, the Young People's uh, Sexual Wellbeing Charity. They're fabulous, I work as an ambassador with them now. And then uh, moved into doing more TV, more radio, more podcasting. And that has, like a dirty snowball, gained traction to today. <laughs> my job with Netflix involves, I get sent uh, scripts to fact check. So it's my job to make sure that uh, characters like Jean, who is played by Gillian uh, Anderson, who's a, a, a sex therapist and sex specialist, and Otis, who's her son, who's imbued secondhand with all the knowledge from his mum. I check their lines and their, their stories to make sure that what they're saying is, is bang on and is correct. Um, it's also my job to uh, make sure that the ways that the young people in the script are chatting to each other are representative of real life, because there's mm. nothing more I was about to say nothing more naff. Ironically, that is quite a naff word. There's nothing less convincing than a script written by adults that's trying to emulate the speech of young people and doing so um, in, in, a, in a poor way, you know, sounding dated. 
but increasingly what I do there is also suggest storylines um, according to things that I'm hearing from my interviewees uh, that are pertinent to their lives today and come up with some of the comedy so if the jokes are shit in season three you can blame me <laughs> <laughs> and then on the side I also uh, make other programs like um, I think my like last uh, large project which has already been released into the world that you can consume now uh, was a six-part documentary series for Audible so it's an audio documentary uh, called Kink and it's all about the uh, the history the science and the politics of fetish so it explores everything from um, a case study of a man who's using um, visits to a dominatrix as a way to process grief after the death mm. of a spouse uh, there's interviews with a guy who was born blind and who has, uh, he's a plushophile, so he has sexual relationships with stuffed furry toys. Uh, and then there's a, a great interview with a, a male professional dominant um, who's been asked to do things like reenact witch trials for clients as part of wow. a sexual indulgent scene. So yeah. I need to listen to this. Wow, this sounds fascinating. Yeah, if you want your eyebrows to shoot right off the back of your head and land on the wall opposite you, then, <laughs> then give that a listen. And at the moment, I'm working on a, a book that's all under wraps at the moment and some, some other telly and broadcast projects, but uh, I can't release those into the wild yet. They are wild, though. They're very wild. <laughs> exciting. I hope one day I can be in that position where I'm like, I can have like secret projects that you can't tell people yet. I feel like that's the height of like a journalist or sort of media job where you have all that I feel like you've got all the power there um but in a good way in a good way uh, those kind of secrets uh, are about the only aspect of privacy I think I have in my life right. a life mm. surrounded with uh, that centers around talking about privates and the not so private mm -hmm. things people get up to them up to with them means that a lot of the time um your your view you know I, I feel like the world knows quite a lot about the ins and outs of what it's what it's like to be me so yeah it's quite nice to have something that I can't talk about for once <laughs> yeah yeah I can imagine um well today we're going to be talking about um all things vulvas and well essentially help is my vulva normal and hopefully well I'm sure we'll come to the conclusion that yes everyone who's listening if they have a vulvas they are very normal but before we get into all that good stuff, uh, we start with what I call the sex position game. So one of my amazing social media assistants has sent us um, a picture of an unusual sex position. And our job is to try and figure out what it is and also obviously describe it to anyone listening. So if you're Ooh. ready to get it up on the screen. <laughs> I'm so glad you clarified what you're going to do that. Big thanks to your assistant, putting the ass in assistant there. Yeah, she's okay. wonderful. But I'm also very jealous that she has this job of finding cool sex positions. <laughs> Ooh, wow. This is gymnastic. Um, so I have a picture of um, four people all taking part in this little sexual adventure. Um, it's a penis owner in the middle who is penetrating somebody who's uh, <laughs> who's got their arms around his neck and uh, he's holding both of her feet in the air. My God, she, <laughs> she, is, she is being, she is more open than the doors of a 24 of a hour garage, isn't she? <laughs> uh, and then the, there's a, uh, a vulva owner by the looks of things, either side of this guy massaging his feet. It also looks like, I think there's a cushion on the floor, but it looks like a giant pumpkin. I would like there to be pumpkins involved in this that would pumpkin. Be quite fun. I think the um, the penis owners, each of their feet are, their toes seem to be kind of in. Oh yes. In the vaginas or in the vulva, vulva area of. Um, I've, I've just zoomed in. Oh my goodness. It's like uh, way back in the day, there was a video of uh, Katie Price and a guy from a band called Another Level uh, that was released and, and that involved toes inside for JJ's. Um, I mean, personally, I would not want that, but you know, if it works for whoever, then, you know, good for them. As long as the toenails have been clipped, I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, you definitely want to have a pet a peddy before you put your foot in someone's panama, yeah. don't you? Um, I did. I I for the last five years, um, I've been a resident shagony aunt uh, on a what podcast a called The Modern Man. <laughs> 
Uh, it's been lovely, actually. I've, I've answered over 110 different people's queries about sex, and some of them are really heartfelt and, and uh, you know, quite serious. We've had uh, one baby born as a result of my oh. advice. I am a pod mother. Um, but, yeah, they range from, from the... They're quite upsetting to the, the downright hilarious, these inquiries. I did have one from somebody who wanted to know, a foot fetishist, who wanted to know whether uh, verrucas could be transferred from uh, the soles of people's feet oh. uh, onto the genital area. <laughs> I mean, that's I'm, that's very, um, I'm not sure what the word is. It's great that they were asking that, that question because um, I think a lot of people wouldn't even think about this, you know, not that they shouldn't, but a lot of people don't think about the safety aspect, especially, you know, you, you might not think of that with feet. So that's so nice that they are. What was the answer? Um, as I got some advice from a medical professional uh, and they said that the, the, the baggy minis, the viruses that cause verrucas on feet don't tend to like to live in the genital region. So the good news is you are unlikely to get verrucas in your vulval area. You can, however, get other lumps and bumps. So we can talk about this later. Um, but so are we, is our job in this game to come up with, we have to guess what the sexual position is called. Is it from the Kama Sutra? By well, the I'm going to guess this one is from the Kama Sutra, uh, from this style of um, I don't know if it's a painting, um, but it, it looks like it's from the Kama Sutra rather than, you know, the latest sort of cosmopolitan uh, sex position. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we need to try and guess what it's called. Um, but I, I, I don't know why I'm, I, I'm thinking maybe like lotus flower, because that has lots of things going on. And, um, you know, she does, especially um, assuming it's a she, that the vulva owner who is um, being penetrated, um, you know they're quite spread open and kind of they look quite pretty and you know very done up and I don't know maybe uh but at the risk of both misnaming a god and getting my religions terrifyingly mixed up um the the, the number of arms and legs and limbs going on here reminds me of um the, the 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 god or the goddess with you know the blue god with the multiple yes. arms is it Shiva I'm very, I'm, there's a high likelihood that I have missed I mean, this. I mean, I have a degree in theology, so I should know the answer to that, but I don't. It's completely wiped my, uh, but I know exactly who you're talking about, but I can't confirm that name either. Um, well, maybe because it reminds me of that blue-hued deity and oh, it yeah. looks extremely gymnastic. I, I'm going to guess that this one is called the blue in the face. Ooh, Okay. I doubt that's accurate <laughs> I mean so yeah so far I've got none right but I think part of the fun is just you know feeling like we have the power to make up <laughs> sex position names um right I'm gonna open it up so you're going with the blue in the face I'm going with the lotus flower mind um, you she kind of looks like she's flying maybe it's something like the flying carpet or the magic carpet. there's definitely a lot going on with her rug <laughs> so there's a lot going on with her everything um I'm gonna go with yeah I'm gonna go with the flying carpet the flying carpet okay oh the name is actually so nice it's called the lifted kiss it that's very beautiful isn't that lovely I mean there are definitely less physically demanding ways to, to have a lifted kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I guess um she does look like she's turning around and planting a kiss I hadn't really noticed that but because of the angle like I doubt it'd be a very good kiss because she said as if you know as if she just doesn't this this woman doesn't have enough to think about already we gotta try and try and snog whoever this person is yeah she's got someone's peen in a poon she's looks like she's performing some sort of wrestling move on him her legs are being pulled so far apart that they're on different continents if she can manage to give a good snog as well then my god she deserves 11 out of 10 for that one. What a woman. What a woman. I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to be one of the, the women on the floor who have this guy's feet in their fannies because, he, I mean, he's under a lot of pressure having to both lift up and shag the, the, the third participant. I can't mm. imagine that his stability is all that great. They're, they're at great, in great danger of being kicked directly in the coochie here, aren't they? Ouch out even more reason that he does not have sharp nails if there's going to be <laughs> accidental kicking um but yeah so the lifted kiss um requires how many were there five 
Four, four people. Four people. Well, there might be a fifth just out of shot. Just watching, watching maybe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> almost Hiding then, the pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in a almost non-sexual way, I'd be quite interesting, interested to watch people try and achieve this. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure I'll ever be in that situation. Um, but if you have a, you know, group sex session lined up to anyone listening, maybe give this a go. But I don't know. Can't, can't vouch for it myself. Yeah, I would definitely require a hoist in the moment and then uh, maybe some kind of physical therapy afterwards, frankly. <laughs> yeah, book a sports massage afterwards or something. Um, Major medical attention. Oh, goodness me. Um, but, yeah, before we keep keep going on about whatever, well, the lifted kiss, um, let's dive in to uh, our questions, which let's are all... Must dive in. Yes. Woo! um that was very <laughs> very loud woo <laughs> um so starting off it. uh with um how do you feel about your vulva have you found it difficult to love do you have any like memories of first like exploring your own vulva um yeah well I am very lucky because I am fine with mine me and my vulva are very very good friends yeah. um I, I've nicknamed it Emmanuel because it looks like uh, you know these little French biscuits the macaron and it sounds a bit like Emmanuel Macron so and plus I think a lot of people do need Emmanuel Emmanuel to understand yeah. vulvas so mine is Emmanuel um I've I, I've never really had any hang-ups about that part of my body other bits of me absolutely are more of a challenge and it's daily work uh, to, mm. to feel positive and accepting uh, about all the bits and pieces that make me the human being that I am. Um, but my down belows, I've always felt quite uplifted about. Uh, I know from my work, though, that that is not the case for many, many people. And sadly, I've heard an interminable number of anecdotes from folks who have had their lives are affected on a very deep level by how embarrassed and ashamed and uh, nervous they feel about their very, very normal vulvas. I've spoken to everyone from women who uh, refuse to have oral sex because they believe that that part of their body will be so repellent and repugnant to whoever is seeing it at close quarters to uh, a, a very um, miserable conversation that I had with uh, a young girl who was from a community that meant that these things were particularly unspoken about, who was beside herself with fear. Um, despite not having had a partnered sexual experience, she was convinced she had genital warts. It took me about 10 minutes of conversation to ascertain that what she was describing was actually her clitoris. Nobody had told her enough about her external genitalia that she knew that that bump in that place was absolutely normal and absolutely should be there. It wasn't an unwanted my heart. It um, broke mine too. Well. It broke mine too, but it doesn't surprise me. Um, I'm asked a lot about what a normal vulva is because so many people just don't know. There was some research done uh, not long ago that um, found that around 60% of women could not point out um, a vulva on an anatomical diagram. They couldn't identify a part of the body that they have themselves. Yeah, I think it's it's quite shocking when you realise that, I mean, 60%, that's a lot, a lot of women. But then if I think back to my own sex education, definitely wasn't taught about the clitoris, what it was, where it was um and I think I was probably 18 19 when I actually had a look and was like oh that's where it is which is ridiculous in my opinion because you know uh, just I could go down for ages about that but yeah it doesn't it's a, it's a shocking number but it doesn't surprise me because I think especially as an 18 19 year old I would have very much fitted in with that statistic and I could go on around about sex education or how it was at least when I when I was a, a teenager, as I'm sure, sure. you I mean, could. If as well. you had any at all, while we're yeah, on I was lucky that had education, and and given that statistic that sixty percent of of women don't know where their vulva is or they can't show it on a diagram, 
to be clear to anybody listening, and especially in light of the fact that lots of people um, use the word vagina when they actually mean their vulva, let's define those terms so yeah. we know exactly what we're talking about. So um, the vagina is actually the muscular elastic tube that's about three inches long, um, although it's very, very stretchy, that leads from the cervix, so that's the neck of the womb, inside the body to the opening on the outside between your legs. So your vagina is the thing that uh, stuff like menstrual fluids and babies can come out of and stuff like tampons or dildos or fingers or penises can go into although as an aside I have many friends who are medical staff who work in A&E and they tell me they've seen all sorts <laughs> of things come out of and go into vaginas uh, including a thousand pounds rolled into a, a tube and tied with an elastic band wow. a ceramic teapot lid that someone was trying to use as a kind How? of uh, pot pottery form of, um, of contraception and a Cadbury's cream egg so <laughs> surprises every day of the week wow. um, but yeah that your vagina is the tube that goes from the inside of your body to the outside uh, your vulva is the, uh, the the collective name for all the outside parts of the genital so what you can see when you look in your, in your knickers then the vulva includes the clitoris um the outer lips uh, the, the proper name for which is the the labia majora the inner lips your labia minora that's minora not menora one is a, a, a religious candelabra <laughs> please don't try and set any of your genitals on fire uh, so that's a uh, vagina on the inside and vulva on the outside and I find it um, if it if it helps you remember it vagina has the word in in it so that's the bit where things go inside and vulva sounds like you're breathing out the vulva is on the outside uh, when it comes to talking about what's normal for your vulva I am here to say not all vulvas are neat, petite and discreet. A lot of people seem to think that unless everything is tucked away and you've got this sort of Barbie smooth slit, that there is something wrong or abnormal with you. That is absolutely not the case. It's extremely standard for uh, your labia, either the inside or the outside ones, to be asymmetrical. So one might hang a bit lower than the other. They have all. They, they can be all manner of frilly and and flappy. Um, it's very very common for one set of lips to be longer than the others. For, for lots of people, the inner lips, the labia minora, hang down. Um, outside of the body so they're longer than the ones on the outside but we just we we don't talk about this we don't show pictures so people really don't know what is standard um I uh read a paper that was published by uh, University College London Hospitals and they found that the average length of the labia minora so those inner lips is around two centimeters but within that study they found variation going right up to over 10 centimeters long um so people have some quite lavish labia out there uh, and they can vary from everything from seven millimeters in width so quite thin mm. all the way to five centimeters so a, a lot more sturdy and thick all of those things are absolutely normal what is crucial is to know what your normal is so mm. that you know if anything changes um, at the moment I'm working with the Eve Appeal who are a, a charity who focus on raising awareness of the five types of gynecological cancer which are vaginal, cervical, womb, ovarian and vulval. You can get vulva, ca vulval cancer and a big thing that they uh, try and let the public know about is as you say get it, getting a mirror Mm. having a good look down below at your down belows getting the low down on them uh, and just making sure that you know what's normal for you in terms of the color the texture whether there are any lumps and bumps so many people I, I find it quite <laughs> quite mind-boggling that their partners probably know what their parts look like more than they do yeah. so yeah I reflect think, upon thyselves <laughs> I think we're uh, particularly um women because I think generally I mean you know as soon as you go to secondary school there are penises drawn on everything and <laughs> penis jokes are made about everything and everyone seems to know what a penis looks like um but like vaginas are so or vulvas sorry um are so much more taboo and somehow embarrassing I think a lot of people are scared of their vulvas and in terms of like just not wanting to look at it being freaked out by it and just sort of trying to forget that it's there um unless unless they're having uh, sex with someone and I know from myself mm -hmm. like the the first time that I like sort of got a mirror and did the classic like what, what's going on down there 
um I was scared like my heart was racing and I, it was it's so strange because it's, it's a part of my body and you know I wouldn't feel that way looking at my hand or even looking at you know turning around and seeing what my bum looks like but you know somehow that intimate sort of getting a mirror um and now like I'm absolutely fine like I don't care if I'm at the doctors you know whatever I not embarrassed at all but you know so many of my friends still won't look at theirs you know and as someone in their 20s still having that that shame and that fear around it um but I think it probably stems back again all the way back until growing up and the language around it uh-huh. um uh-huh but yeah it is it is mind-boggling that a lot of people don't know what their own vulva looks like but then I can I can also understand why because it wasn't that long ago that I was there shaking with a mirror being terrified of what I might see as as if there was going to be like an alien crawling out of me I don't know what I was scared of um I hear you yeah as much as I very um in such a laid-back um lace like chilled out fashion implore people you know just grab a mirror take a look Mm. at what you've got I absolutely acknowledge that that's frightening for a lot of folks. Um, it's a part of our body that's associated with that. We're told a lot of us as children that it's dirty. Um, it's associated with a lot of fear. Uh, we're told it's something that shouldn't be seen by by other people. That we should, you know, we something that we shouldn't even touch ourselves mm-hmm. at times. So the fact that we're afraid to look at it a lot of the time as individuals isn't surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for some people as well it's associated with trauma very sadly it can be a part of the body that is linked to pain or fear mm. in 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 other in other contexts um I often say to people because it can be strange thinking that you're looking inside of your body a little bit and seeing something that can look at let, let's be honest like it's a little bit squidgy and meaty isn't it it's it, it doesn't look like the same as your arm for example yeah I find that having a good look in the mirror at your mouth, looking at your tongue and the insides of your cheeks and the back of your throat, you're looking into your body that way. Mm. And that's a lot, if, if, you, if you try and normalize the fact that seeing into your body is something you do every day when you brush your teeth, then mm. that can make it feel a little, just a little bit less squicky and weird looking at an, a sort of a, a passageway into your body that's in another place. Mm. I think that that's great advice. I think it's the kind of thing as well that the more you do it, if you can do it just for a little bit of time, have a quick look, then you become more, hopefully become more comfortable over time. Um, but um, yeah, so along the same lines, as we were saying that so many women um, or vulva owners feel very ashamed or they worry that it's not normal. Maybe they have, um, like you said, their labia might, they might think their labia is too long or, or whatever. Um, and because there are obviously you can get plastic surgery um, and oh, labia capacities yeah. are rising and you can also I didn't I only found out about this uh, doing research for this podcast that you can get clitoral hood reduction reductions um, and vaginoplasty I'm not sure if I'm saying that right um, yeah I think so yeah uh, first up let me say that I would never shame any person um, as an aside I, I'll probably say woman quite a lot through this this podcast um, I, I include uh, non-binary people, trans people, um, anybody who's female, female identifying in my discussions of, of potential vulva owners. But yeah, there, there are. I wouldn't shame anybody who had plastic surgery to feel better about themselves and, and who did something to their body that they wanted to. It's. I don't want to target those people as having something wrong with them or make them feel any lesser. What I would question is whether those folks are truly making those decisions to spend what in some cases is a huge amount of money and undergo a procedure that can have a huge amount of risk and that involves taking a blade to their bodies. What are the reasons behind that? Are they truly doing it for themselves or are they doing it because somebody else, whether that's an individual or wider society, has told them that what they've naturally got is not good enough? That's what should be shameful here. And when you look at the, the plethora of surgery options that are available now um, for people to change their genitals it's just astounding you mentioned uh, vaginoplasty that is essentially surgery uh, that a lot falls under that umbrella but it's essentially surgery to tighten the vaginal passage 
it's primarily designed to make sexual intercourse feel tighter and quote unquote better for men. That is a procedure that you're uh, first and foremost doing for somebody else's pleasure. Yeah. Um, there's also a pubic mound liposuction where you can have fat sucked out of the pubic mound, which is the, the, the little hill on the top of the, the air, just the area just above the clitoris where pubic hair starts to grow. So if you want to make it look slimmer, you can. You can also have fat injected back in lipo filling if you want your mound to be uh, to be plumper so you can really do an in out in out shake it all about hokey cokey of the, of the cookie there there are hyaluronic acid injections that are marketed at uh, getting rid of vulval wrinkles in case worrying about your face as a woman wasn't enough you've got to worry about i don't, I don't know I feet to... closer to your feet <laughs> it's i feel like i could scream or cry or laugh I'll wait until you hear about the vajacular, which is a vulval vampire facial. This involves sucking out your blood, having blood extracted, spun in a centrifuge, then re-injecting the, the resulting plasma into your privates to, uh, in, in air quotes, rejuvenate them. Some of these procedures are, are sold to women as though they will increase their orgasmic potential. I think there are things that you can do, uh, exercises, toys that you can use, far less risky and far less expensive procedures that are much more likely to guarantee or, or, or um, it enhance your sexual pleasure. I think this, these are people looking to make money out of women's insecurities. And right at the top of this list of plastic surgery, the most prevalent type of, of female genital cosmetic alteration is the labiaplasty. That's changing those, those inner and outer lips, most, most usually the, the inner lips that we spoke about earlier. Um, now I've got some stats for you here. The American Society for Aesthetic, Aesthetic Plastic Surgery logged an astounding 5,070 labiaplasties taking place just in 2013. That was already a 44% increase on 2012. So 44% up in a year. By 2019, which was the most recent figure I could get in time for this podcast, that figure had increased to 12,903 procedures. So that's in the States, but this isn't just people in the USA who are chopping and changing their, their labia. Uh, the trend is echoed on home soil as well. Uh, the British Association of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons ran a headline in 2013 stating that British women were hankering for design of vaginas and labiaplasty had seen a 109% rise uh, to become the third mo most sought after after plastic surgery. So there are a lot of people seeking mm. this out. Um, some of those, um, there is an argument that because people are more aware of this surgery, that some of those are going to be people who are genuinely experiencing problems. In some rare cases, if you have a particularly capacious labia, they can cause problems if they're chafing against clothes or they're squashing when you sit down, for example, on a bike or on your office chair, or they're catching and nipping during sex. There are definitely scenarios where certain labial forms can make women genuinely uncomfy. However, um, the evidence shows that in, in the majority of cases, those are not the reasons why people are seeking out these procedures. It's mostly about aesthetics rather than about genuine pain. And people are parting up with a whole lot of cash to change their gash as well. A, a private labioplasty costs between two and four thousand pounds. It's not without risk, as I've mentioned. You know, there, there are there's the potential of um, if nerves are damaged or cut, then your sexual pleasure can actually be reduced. Not everybody heals well, so you can have issues with scarring. If too much of that labial tissue is taken away, it's protective. It helps to keep that mucosal tissue, helps to keep the vagina and the surrounding area moist and happy and protected. It can dry out. So it, you, there is no guarantee that even after you've handed over four grand from your hand, that you're not going to end up with your crotch botched. So it's really important that we talk about these things look at the underlying reasons as to why people are seeking these and speak openly about whether it's truly necessary and what we can do to change this if not.
Can I ask why you think there has been such a dramatic increase, both in the US and the UK? Because I know um, a lot of people will blame porn. Uh-huh. Um, what would you blame on? I'm not necessarily blame. Where do you think this, uh, apart from the general just uh, women being criticised for everything and every part of their body, it feels like, um, why why have we seen such such a growth? Um, well, the statistics show uh, the Journal of Sexual Medicine estimates that between one and two thirds of people uh, seeking this kind of surgery are doing it because they're not happy with the way they look. And it's really common, as you observe, for people's minds to immediately go, oh, it's the fault of porn. Porn can most definitely play a part. I've interviewed scores of women about this issue and about their own relationship with their vulva. Um, Some of them do say they feel like um, they've seen people with more smooth, tiny, tucked away vulvas in pornography. uh, And that that's or, or they've heard male partners say that they think their vulvas should look more like the ones they've seen in porn. However, I think it's really interesting that we're so keen to blame women who are behaving in openly, overtly sexual ways as porn actors for a problem once again. We're saying this problem with women seeking labiaplasty, etc., is caused by women in pornography. It's more shaming of women. Mm. I think it's far too easy just to blame everything on porn. And I think in doing so, we overlook a multitude of other factors that may well be playing a part here. Now, there's not a heck of a lot of research in this area. There was a a study in 2019 um, that looked around 1% of annual cases in America of labiaplasty, so quite small. I think it was about 124 people. Um, It's also important to, to point out that the person who carried out that study was involved in plastic surgery themselves, so there may have been some kind of inherent bias But uh, to summarize their results, they found out that pornography played a lot less of a part, had a lot less of an impact in people's views on themselves than you might expect. Mm -hmm. Anecdotally, I've spoken to women who actually said, oh, porn showed me that there are a whole variety of vulvas. And if you look at, um, for example, sex toys, uh, the, the very popular fleshlight series of male masturbatory toys, um, that are many of which are modeled on extremely famous, extremely popular female porn stars. Not all of those show vulvas that are uh, absolutely symmetrical and don't have any frilly bits or any beautiful hanging down bits. They're actually really varied. So I don't think porn is the main contributor. In my mind, one of the main things at fault here is just a pure lack of education. We are not wise about what it's normal to look like between our thighs, full stop. That goes for women, men, girls, boys, people of all genders. Um, Studies show that a lot of women who report problems with how they feel about their own vulvas um, can say that that started to emerge typically around the age of 13. Now that's the time, if we look at puberty, when the labia start to become a bit longer, a bit larger, a bit more obvious, they can darken in color, Um, they they become a little bit more visible than they were during childhood, we have the growth of pubic hair, Um, and this coincides with a time in the life where these, these young girls should be receiving education about what what's normal but we know that that's often not spoken about in schools and probably not spoken about in homes as well um and that means that the only place that is left for those young girls to get messages about what their vulva should like look like is the media uh which we know perpetuates ideas of um of vulvas all looking the same that that barbie doll slit um it astounds me that even when we look at vulvas when they're covered up If you look at adverts for knickers and thongs, lingerie adverts, you hardly ever see any bulges, which we know are really, like we know lots of women when they put their pants on, it's not completely flat. You can see the, the, astoundingly, there is not a nice word for it, is that the only word I know is camel toe. But we, we know that the vulva, the labia can be visible. That's 
almost always airbrushed out. So it's not just porn where we might be seeing images of vulvas that are standardized. This homogenized, smoothed out look is everywhere. And it's not just the media where we get messages about vulvas that are inaccurate and often unflattering. It's from our peers and heartbreakingly, a lot of the time from our lovers. Um, around a third of women who seek out labiaplasty and other uh, genital surgery um, for aesthetic reasons um, can vividly recall a specific insult or negative comment made about their genitals compared to just 3% of women who don't seek out cosmetic surgery. I'm just going to let that sink in. Around a third of people who seek to change their genitals through surgery who are female know that someone said something horrible about how they look. It's not always the magazines, sometimes it's the men in our lives, or yeah. oftentimes like the, the women, sadly. Um, I, I did a, a few interviews about this subject around six months ago, and I, I spoke to around 35 women. So many of them said that uh, their concerns about their body uh, started when they were young because uh, other girls talked about slang they use slang like gammon danglers or beef curtains one girl could very vividly recall being shamed in a ballet class when she was in her um her early adolescence because her vulva was visible through her through her leotard you could see her labia a little bit um the number of women who told me that most of their insecurities came from people who were close to them um, friends or people who had seen their genitals in what should have been a romantic context just astounded me um, mm. I wonder if a lot of those people had they had better education would they be slinging around those insults in the first place um, there's lots of interconnecting um, uh, yeah there's lots of interconnecting factors going on here there's very rarely just one thing that we can point to and say that's the problem yeah for sure um but there are also some really fundamentally simple things that we can do to make things better as well. Yeah, no, I, it, it's so interesting hearing uh, how everything does connect. And I mean, everything in, in my view, uh, a lot of it sort of the past that lead back to education. Um, uh -huh. I feel like every time I did podcast episodes, I'd just become more certain that uh, good comprehensive sex education literally could cure so many ills in the world um I absolutely uh, agree with yeah. you if you're educated age appropriately but from a, a, I strongly believe that ed sex education should start fairly early in life not yeah. only does it teach you about what's normal and healthy for you but it also gives you a really wise lens through which to interpret the world so then those messages that you may or may not be getting from your peers from your future lovers from porn from magazines from adverts from music videos from your mother the media and beyond you know that you know what you know the facts you know what's true so you're less likely to be swayed by those things. Um, even the fact that adverts exist for things like labiaplasty is affecting uh, people's um, interpretations of whether their bodies look good. Mm -hmm. And there was a study done in Australia where two groups of women were shown um, before, well, one of them was shown before and after images of uh, vulvas that had been operated on. The other group was shown a variety of images of vulvas that were natural, they were untouched. The former group who had been exposed to that idea that these vulvas had been um, improved by being surgically altered, then judged pictures of natural vulvas as being worse. They, their, their idea of what good genitals look like had been profoundly altered by the idea that changing them was a good thing I wonder if they had had better education beforehand they would have been more resilient to those messages yeah, being able to to fight them a little bit um yeah the whole thing exactly. about not I've definitely had with, with certain things it's going back a while ago it's totally different but when there was this sort of thigh gap craze oh god know, yeah and then when that comes about I like me I'm sure every other teenage girl then looked in the mirror and started to look for that because and but 
if I hadn't been told that that was an ideal or not having one was a problem, I would have never probably have noticed that space between my thighs. And it goes with hip dips, it goes with, um, you know, what normal labia should look like and, and things like that. But unless we're, unless we're told something is wrong, we're probably not going to think something is wrong. Um, Absolutely. And it's very, very profitable to tell us that things are wrong. Yeah. Um, I recently saw a tweet from a, a beauty writer who was righteously complaining that she'd been sent a press release from a company who were trying to um, coin the term jack for the area between the jaw and the neck that is apparently the latest thing that women should worry about. Do you have like a little pouch of, of fat or do you have wrinkles or is that, you know, is there something wrong between, with the space between the jaw and the neck? giving things a name like that can be really powerful in cementing them in people's minds. Mm. Cellulite is a freaking invention. Um, yeah. This one's a really personal one for me because I remember not knowing what cellulite was and I almost certainly had it, but I didn't worry about it because I didn't know that it was supposed to be a problem. And I can chart the, the moment at university, I think I must have been about 20 years old when I first became aware that cellulite was a term and it was a thing. And I can recall examining my body and finding a little bit of that orange peel. Until that point in my life, I had worn short shorts with wild abandon. I hadn't given a toss about it. Um, there are failed pancakes that gave fewer tosses than me about <laughs> the back of my legs. And sadly, from that moment on, I was really paranoid about them. I had no reason to be, but because mm. I'd heard of this term, I now am in awe and cheer so heartily for the, the body acceptance and the body positivity influencers that I see on platforms like Instagram who are freely showing their cellulite and busting those myths. I wish I had been exposed to that earlier in my life because... Um, it's taken me a long time to, to coach myself out of that damaging opinion. Mm. And I'm trying to do the same thing now with young women who have similar hangups about their labia because bad words, bad phrases have been invented like beef curtains, like the idea of labiaplasty yeah. that have, have inserted themselves in their minds before more healthy ideas could have chance to get there first. Yeah. Wow. That was so beautifully put. Um, I don't know it just yeah um, no I completely agree and um, the idea of you know allowing the the right education the comprehensive education getting there first um, you know so it's not it's not spending 20-30 years as a woman unpicking what you were taught when you were 13-14 um, but yeah what would you say to anyone who's listening who feels insecure or ashamed of their vulva how can they boost their vulva self-esteem because I think there might be a lot of women out there who might feel like they should love their vulva um whether because they want to be a proper feminist or whatever they want to be in love with it but they just can't because they've probably been fed years and years of negative imagery uh -huh. how can they now fall in love with it or not even fall it accept it and feel more positive uh, about about their vulva first up I don't blame you if you don't feel 100% great about what you're rocking between your legs do not beat yourself up that you are a human being who surprise surprise hasn't been 100% resilient and resistant to years of being pummeled with negative messages it's not your fault mm -hmm. of course some of that stuff gets internalized especially when it's coming from so many different angles and as I mentioned earlier body positivity body acceptance sometimes it's long-term work it isn't something where you just say I know I shouldn't feel bad about this I'm going to decide to feel good about it and then it's done um, it, it requires quite a lot of changing of your own mind and coaching and you might have good days and bad days but aside from us more broadly instilling better sex education in schools which is something that I'm working on with Brooke I think if you're an individual who would really love to have a better relationship with your body starting now for a start I think masturbation can be really really powerful and if you can handle it try to masturbate whilst you can see yourself in the mirror this can be good for your whole body self-esteem not just how you feel about your vulva but I always say that if you 
are looking at your body and you can start to appreciate how good your body can make you feel, it can be easier to feel good about your body. So mm. if you're looking at your vulva whilst you're doing whatever it does, whatever, whatever personally works for you to make you feel orgasmic and pleasurable and tingly and, and titillated, it's easier to feel uh, positive and loving about that part of your body when it feels so damn good. When it's giving you an O, you're more likely to think, my V is A plus, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, secondly, expose yourself, so to speak, to <laughs> more realistic images of vulvas to counteract all of the, the negative and unrealistic images that you may have been exposed to. If indeed you've seen any pictures or photographs of vulvas at all, lots of us haven't. Some suggestions I'd make is there's a photographer called Laura Dodsworth. Uh, she did a project called Womanhood, the Bare Reality, where she photographed untouched pictures of over 100 separate um, women's, and I think there's some trans people's uh, genitals in there. Um, there's a, a sculptor called Jamie McCartney, who did a piece called The Great Wall of Vagina. Not technically accurate, but I'll let it off because it's a great pun. Uh, mm -hmm. That's a collection of over 400 plaster casts of real people vulvas pierced ones long ones short ones asymmetrical ones ones that look like beautiful picasso punanis mm -hmm. all shapes and sizes so much variation seeing those can make you realize that you know you, you might see one that looks like yours you'll see ones that look probably wilder than yours do too as well mm -hmm. your, your vulva is not as extreme as you believe it is in all mm -hmm. likelihood um, London's Vagina Museum is hopefully opening back up again very soon. Uh, they have a lot of online events as well that um, are really great for uh, joining like-minded communities of people who want to feel better about their bodies and undo some of the damage done over the years of, of poor messaging. Uh, then there's a, a group called the Candid Collective. This is really fun. Get a bunch of your friends together and do this as a group if you can, even if you have to do that virtually at the moment. They run craft workshops based on feminist values. And you can do things like make a pussy magnet or a gash tray that's in the shape of a vulva. So it's a really fun way of starting mm -hmm. conversations. Um, plus, I just find it quite helpful to um when in terms of my social media habits i follow a lot of um accounts like the vulva gallery oh, I love, and yeah, uh, yeah really amazing amazing yeah. resources people who are speaking about and demonstrating positive realistic messages about bodies and just seeing that stuff every day helps to normalize it in the same way that sadly seeing the bad stuff has normalized uh, more regrettable messages in the past yeah, I think that amazing, amazing tips there. Just before we wrap up, just quickly, what should vulva owners look out for if they are worried that there might be something a little bit wrong? Obviously, I know you're not a medical expert, um, but with your work with Eva Peel, is there anything that uh, should um, encourage them to go talk to a doctor? Sure thing. First up, if you do find something that looks unusual for you, do not panic about your poo. The likelihood is that it's not anything bad, but it's a really important thing to go and get checked out by a professional ASAP with your V. Mm -hmm. There are two inflammatory skin conditions that can sometimes lead to cancer that's worth being aware of them. One of them is called lichen sclerosis, and the other one is called VIN, VIN, uh, it's vulval intraepithelial neoplasia. You'll probably have an inkling if you have one of those, because uh, both of them, as I say, they're inflammatory. So if you have any skin itching, if there's any cracking, bleeding, soreness, a change in texture, go and see a specialist, go nip to your GP ASAP. If there's any thickened, raised or red patches that start to appear or darker patches on the skin of the vulva. This is another reason why it's really important to know what you've got going on down there and to regularly check it out. Any open sores or growths, uh, a mole on your vulva that changes shape or colour or any kind of lumps or swellings. Now, if you're somebody that does hair removal, the likelihood is this stuff may well just be a, a razor burn or, you know, a bad reaction to some wax, but it's, it's worth keeping an eye on. And anything that doesn't go away fast or that seems odd to you, go and get it checked out. Now, I know that if you Google something like this, you will often find the most 
eyeball terrorizing images you've ever seen in your life and the most frightening scary info that jumps to the worst conclusions if you want to go get really reliable factual information then I recommend either heading to the Eve Appeal website which is eveappeal.org.uk or if you have any specific questions Eve Appeal run a totally free nurse manned phone line called uh, Ask Eve uh, so if you can give them a call, it's 0808 802 0019. If they're not on the phone line at that time, you can leave a message for them. They'll call you back. It's totally free from all landlines and mobiles within the UK. It doesn't show up on your itemised bill. So if you don't want to maybe alarm somebody else or if you're from a culture or a background where something to do with cancer showing on your phone bill might, might you know, be problematic for whatever reason, it's totally discreet. You can also email any uh, worries that you have, maybe photos if you wish to, to nurse at eveappeal.org.uk. Wow, what a wonderful resource. Like that's that's so I had never I've heard of Everville, but the fact that's all free, that's amazing. Thank you so much for all your wisdom and just hopefully making well making me and making anyone who's listened who has a vulva hopefully feel much more comfortable and confident. Just before we go, we're gonna do a quick fire true or false round. Okay. Uh, Ooh. <laughs> yeah, test test time now. So first one, in 2017, the US had the most labiaplasty procedures in the world. True. Actually, false, Brazil took the... Oh God, of course it's going to be Brazil. Brazil with their butt lifts and their front lifts now. <laughs> I wonder whether how many of those people had travelled from other countries That's like USA in order to get those procedures there. Mm. That would be interesting as well, wouldn't it? If I, It might be worth me analysing some of the figures I've quoted today to see not only where the patients are from, but where they were undergoing their procedures. Mm. Yeah, because that's... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, whether that is... Um, people who are from Brazil or people who are fly- flying in. Um, but USA was in second second place. I don't want to say second place because then it sounds like it's... It's a horrible prize. ranking, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Drum roll. According to a Refinery29 survey, uh, so not an academic one, over 50% of women had concerns about the appearance of their vulva. I am sad to say I think that's quite a low figure. Mm. Um, I'm going to say true and at least 50%. Yeah, you're right. That is that is true, which is is very sad. Sad but not surprising, which is sort of... No. Hopefully conversations <laughs> like ours will help to change exactly. that level. Yeah. And before you wash your hands of me, I'd just like to send our listeners away with a little tip about washing your vulva, since this Ooh, is a question yes. I get a heck of a lot. Yes. Um, you do not need vulval or vaginal deodorants. Your foof is not supposed to smell of fruit or butterscotch or, uh, I don't know, daisy chains or whatnot. It's fine for a part of a human body to smell like a human being. Um, If you do have a bit of a whiff when you sniff that area of yourself, if it smells a bit fishy or a bit bit musky, that can be an indication of um, a little little condition like bacterial vaginosis or that your natural pH has been knocked out a bit. So it's actually important that you know what you smell like so that if something's a bit off kilter, you again, you can go and see a GP and get that sorted out. Um, for most people, washing the outside of their genitals, so, they, so their vulva, just with plain warm water is enough. As long as you get, get your fingers in there a little bit and just part your folds and your flaps. I get asked a lot about whether it's okay to use pH balanced washes. I would say certainly not inside of you. Please don't douche yourself. Don't go near, don't go near anything that's marketed as a vaginal douche. There is research that links that to cancers such as uh, ovarian cancer. It's a bad idea. It gets rid of lots of friendly bacteria and it can it can really do bad things to your innards. If you're somebody who uses silicone-based lubricants, which can be quite difficult to shift with water alone, you're somebody who goes to the gym a lot and you feel like you know, you're a bit sweaty or muddy or, or whatever from sport and you need something more than water, 
or increasing numbers of people are using menstrual knickers. I use them myself, but I find that that means that there sometimes can be a bit of a bit of a mess, some some dried blood and stuff that's been mm-hmm. sat there for a while. In that case, I think if you feel the need, choosing a mild, unperfumed, pH balanced wash is uh, better than choosing something heavily perfumed or astringent or or too harsh. But if you possibly can, stick to water alone. That's great advice. I was once, I remember being uh, told off at the family planning clinic um, because I was concerned. They were like, just use water. I was like, okay. But it was great advice and something I should have been taught when I was 12, 13, not 20. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Keep your bits hydrated, people. It's good for your whole body. Um, I'm sorry you were told off, though. I don't think anyone should be told off for these things because we're not yeah, told no, in the first right. place what we should do, are we? Exactly. But we're here to tell, we're here to share. Uh, we're yeah. here to uh, hopefully spread spread some positivity about the poons. Yes. Uh, what a catchphrase. Um, well, hopefully everyone's feeling over the moon about their poon now, or at least at least okay about it. We'll yeah. take okay. We'll take okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast episode. Would you mind just sharing your social media platforms or where listeners can find out more about you and some of the um, organisations that you work for? 100% you can find me slip slap slopped all over the internet uh, if you want to follow me on twitter or instagram my handle is alex fox that's at a-l-i-x alex with an i like cyclops and then fox f-o-x like the scruffy little animal that howls horribly when having sex I do not make the same sound I hasten to add I'm also going to be disseminating lots of information from us Eve and uh, as uh, the summer rolls along perhaps some sneak previews from the new season season three of uh, sex education so excited so excited yeah thank you so much and yeah thank you for coming on it's been glorious it's been glorious more glorious than an overused glory hole 